we don't want to give that up. Uh, so, so it is good to be with you. Well, if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Uh, the passage is also printed there in your order of service, so you can follow along there. Um, but we are continuing along in our series looking at various episodes from the different gospel accounts that focus or, or have Peter as a central figure. Um, they're really not focused on Peter. That's not our concern from these passages. I've said this almost every week. Our concern isn't what Peter says. It's not what Peter does. Our concern is what Jesus says, that Peter is just the entry point into these different episodes of Jesus' life because really who Peter is and what Peter does, as significant, as important as that is, it pales in comparison to the significance and importance of Jesus. He is the center of our lives. He is the center of the story of the Bible. And so it is he that we want to see what he has for us, what he has to say. And so in this passage this morning, this one where, where Peter actually only has one line, one phrase, um, what, what we see is that Peter actually is an eyewitness to two very significant, very important demonstrations of faith. Now this is important for us because as Christians we believe that our entire lives are to be lives lived with faith. That we have faith in the Lord who has made us, the one who has created us, that we have faith in the one who has redeemed us. Not just when we first believe, but every part of our life is to be lived by faith. And so let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, to the crowd, returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our King, we do thank you for this portion of your word. 
We ask that as we come to it now, that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts, that you would stir in us deep and abiding faith so that we would trust you with every aspect of our lives. Help us now, we pray, and allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you, to give you glory, for you are our God, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1947, uh, Francis Schaeffer was flying from Europe to the United States. Uh, he was returning from what was, I believe, his very first trip to Europe. This was before Schaefer was an internationally known apologist. This was before Schaefer had begun his ministry in Switzerland with Labrie. This was when Schaefer was still a pastor of a church in St. Louis. And he was returning from Europe, from his first trip to Europe, he was returning home. And as he was flying over the North Atlantic Sea, it was dark at night, there, the, the moon was not out, there wasn't a star in the sky. He looks out his window and he looks and it seems as though the two engines on the wing outside his window have stopped. And so he's flying over the ocean, and his first thought is, if we're going to crash into the water, I need my coat, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> but Schaefer was kind of a funny guy, if you've seen pictures of him. But this was pre-Nickers, um, if, if you've seen that. But, um, but uh, so Schaefer, he, he gets up to grab his coat. He gets up to grab his coat, and he sees the flight attendant, and he says to her, I think the engines have gone out. And she just snaps at him. You people always think there's problems with the engine. Sit back down. And so he grabs his coat. He sits back down. And just as he sits back down, an agitated co-pilot comes over the, the speaker system and says to the people on the plane, we're in trouble. Hurry and put on your life jackets. Sure enough, the engines had failed. And the plane was descending. It was about to crash into the Atlantic Ocean. Schaefer said that they were so close to the water, there wasn't, the, the moon was hidden, there was no stars, it was dark, but they were so close to the water, he could see the water breaking in the ocean. The plane was going to crash. What would you do? Well, whether you're a Christian or not, I, I bet you would start praying. <laughs> and that's exactly what Schaefer did. He started praying, and it wasn't just Schaefer that started praying. In fact, an SOS signal went out from the plane, and it was picked up by the Flash News Service, the, the United States News Service, and they sent this message streaming all throughout the land over the radio waves. And his wife, Edith, sitting in her home in St. Louis in her living room, heard over the radio that a, sh a plane was going down into the Atlantic Ocean. And so not knowing if it was her husband's plane or not, she gathered her three children and they sat by the radio and they too prayed. They prayed. They prayed because there was nothing else for them to do but to pray. You see, in that time of need, what Schaefer, what Francis and Edith were both doing were demonstrating great faith. They were demonstrating faith, not just in a God who is out there, this, this being who maybe has power, who's maybe interested in this world, but they were praying to the God that they believed was able and willing to help them in that time of need. They were demonstrating faith. Now, when I say that word faith, 
Some of you might have in, in your mind negative connotations because in our world, oftentimes when we think of faith, we think of faith as being blind, right? We think of faith as being just a stab in the dark, as being irrational. We think of people of faith as being those who, who lean into difficult situations with faith because they don't want to deal with the harsh realities that they are confronted with. This is how our world depicts faith. But that's not biblical faith. You see, biblical faith isn't blind. Biblical faith isn't a stab in the dark. In fact, Schaefer, in one of his seminal works, True Spirituality, a book that I would commend to any of you, he says this. He says, Christian faith is never without content. Christian faith is never a jump in the dark. Christian faith is always believing what God has said, and Christian faith rests upon Christ's finished work on the cross. You see, Christian faith is not aimless, and it's not naive optimism. Christian faith is rooted and grounded in who God is and in what God does. Christian faith is trusting in the God who is able and willing to act, and that's what we see in this passage. We see in this passage demonstrations of what faith looks like. Jesus commends the woman for her faith and then invites Jairus to have faith as well. To have faith in Christ because Christ is able and willing to help. That's what we see. Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue, that simply means that he, he, uh, he had authority in that place. He was one who helped kind of put the service on. Maybe he was a financial backer. But this Jairus, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He has religious authority in this community. He comes to Jesus because his daughter is dying. And there's no one who can help. So he falls at Jesus' feet, we're told. He falls at Jesus' feet. He implored him to come to his house. In Mark's account of this passage, Mark tells us that Jairus said, Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. You see, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of desperation. This ruler of the synagogue, he had probably never prostrated himself like this before. He had probably never thrown him at the feet of another. He's the one who had authority. And yet now, in his time of need, he believes he's hoping that Christ can help. But it's not only he that needs help. Right? So Jesus hears this pleading this desperation, he starts going with Jairus to the home. But as he goes, the crowds press in, and we read in verse 43 that there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. You see, like Jairus, this woman is desperate. She's come to her end for 12 years she had this discharge of blood. She's gone to doctors and physicians. She spent all her money. She's used all of her resources, and no one can help. Her condition has continued, and so she's in need. Again, in Mark's account, she says, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. You see, both she and Jairus believe that Jesus could help. 
Both she and Jairus believed that Jesus was able to help them, to save her from her disease and to save his daughter from death. This is incredible trust. It is amazing faith. And this is what Christian faith looks like. You see, it's believing and trusting that whether we are, our condition is physical or relational or emotional, that Christ can help. So I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if your faith is there. You see, as, as Christians, we give a nod to faith. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course we have faith. We're people of faith, right? Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of right. We, we know those passages, and we say, yes, Christian faith is the instrument by which God extends to us grace and mercy and kindness, and so, of course, we have faith. But what about moment by moment, day by day? Yes, we have faith when we first believed, Yes, we talk about faith when we first were converted. Yes, we talk about faith when our eyes were first opened. But, but what about this morning and this afternoon? Are we trusting God with every part of our lives, with our work and our relationships, with our education, with our families? You know, in another one of his books, uh, Schaefer, uh, this is just the morning of Schaefer. <laughs> In another one of his books called Death in the City, another book I would commend to you, he gives the illustration of two chairs, two chairs set up in a room. And he says, one chair is the chair of belief and one chair is the chair of unbelief. And he says, every single person in this world is sitting, is residing in one of those chairs. For the Christian, we once sat in the chair of unbelief, but now we've believed. We've had our eyes opened, our hearts have been enlivened, and so now we sit in the chair of belief. But he said something fascinating in this little illustration. He notes the, the, the propensity that we as Christians have that even though we may sit in the chair of belief, though we say that we trust in Christ, though we say we love him, that we are looking to him for all things, that we can very easily begin to live as though we still sit in the chair of unbelief. Oh yeah, we believe him. But then we go about our days. Oh, yes, I trust him. I have faith that he can do amazing and miraculous things, but then we go about, we go to work. And we interact with our family members. And we talk to our neighbors, and, and, then, and then we actually start just living like we're sitting in the chair of unbelief. Maybe we could call it the chair of believing in self. Or the chair of belief in the world. See, it's very easy for us to, to start to think that, that, that we believed him and trusted him for that moment, but then we go about our days, and we're not really trusting God with every part of our lives. When we rise in the morning, and when we go out from our homes during the day, and when we lay down at night, that we have faith in him. You know, when, when I was thinking about this, it, it reminded me of a prayer that I learned when I was a child. Um, there, most of you know I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but, but there were two prayers we learned in my family. Prayer that we said right before dinner, the, the blessing over the food, and then there was a prayer we said every night before we went to sleep. And the prayer that was taught to me was this, now I lay me down to sleep. Have you all heard this, some of you? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
Now, when you think about that, it's kind of morbid, isn't it? <laughs> Especially when you hear it from a six-year-old. <laughs> but as I was thinking about this passage, or this prayer, it made me realize, I started to realize how profoundly trusting this prayer is. Because when I am asleep, and when, as far as I'm concerned, at my most safe, I am still trusting God to protect me. I am still trusting God with my soul. I am looking to Him. Whether I rise or I am awake, excuse me, that's the same thing. Whether I am awake or I am asleep, whether I leave my home or I am sitting on my couch, my faith is in Him. Because in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, we are to put our faith in him moment by moment because he is able to help. He has the power to help. But that's not the only reason why we put our faith in him, not just because he's able to help, but also because he's willing to help. See, that's what we see in this passage, that out of Jesus' compassion for these people, he cares for them. He, he shows them that he can help them in their need. The woman, 12 years, had this discharge. 12 years. So by the Old Testament law, this meant that she was ceremonially and ritually unclean, which meant that she was not allowed to come to worship, which meant that she had to be removed from the community because the Old Testament law was clear that only those who were clean or holy, ritually speaking, could approach God and could actually have fellowship with God's people because if you are unclean, you might touch someone who was clean and make them unclean. And then the whole thing would keep spreading and no one would be able to go worship. So, so they would have to be removed from the community to protect the community. And she had to experience this for 12 years. 12 years she would have been isolated. This is why she kind of sneaks up on Jesus, doesn't she? She's like totally incognito. She's ninja-like. She's sneaking up. She doesn't want anyone to know who she is because she knows that if anyone would have seen her and realized who she is, who it was that was trying to push by her, who it was that was sneaking closer to Jesus, they would have recoiled. They would have pulled away from her. And so she sneaks up on Jesus she sneaks up on Jesus and she touches the garment, his, the hem of his garment. And Jesus realizes this and so he asks, who is it that touched me? Peter's awesome. Peter's awesome. He basically says, who touched you? Are you kidding me? Who didn't touch you, Jesus? Look at the crowds. They're all pressing in against you. Who touched you? But he's not deterred. He says again, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, at this moment, if you're the woman, okay, you just snuck up on Jesus. You kind of got a healing and, you know, no one knew that you were getting it. Jesus said, who touched me? He's looking around, right? Now, if you're that woman, if I was that woman, my instinct would be to hide. I got my healing. I'm going to get out as quickly as I got in, right? I don't want anyone to know it was me because he's asking, who was it that did this? So, so maybe he's angry. Maybe he's about to rebuke me. I mean, we know that she comes to Jesus trembling, and in Mark's account, we're told she was not just trembling, but she was afraid. Maybe Jesus is about to rebuke her. 
Maybe what she's about to find is anger and disdain. That's not what she finds, is it? She doesn't find a Savior who scolds her. She finds a Christ full of compassion. Look what he says to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. That is a wonderful line. It is pregnant with so many implications. Go in peace. She's experiencing peace physically because her condition is no more. She's experiencing peace spiritually because Jesus has commended her faith. Right? She's, she's, at, she's well with Christ. But she's also experiencing peace with her community. Because the fact that she is no longer unclean means that she can be restored to God's people. And so she's experiencing peace. Jesus shows her compassion and care and love. But his compassion doesn't stop with the woman. It continues with Jairus and his family. Now, initially, it doesn't look like he's very compassionate with Jairus, does it? Because he delayed. And in his delay, we read in verse 49 that while he was talking to this woman, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. All right, now let's put ourselves in the place of Jairus. If you're him, your daughter is sick, now she's dead. You just witnessed Jesus heal this woman, and, and he, you know, she snuck up and did it. So what might he be able to do if he would have went and laid his hands on his daughter? But he didn't. He was delayed. I mean, if you're Jairus, if I was Jairus, I'd be thinking, Jesus, man, she's lived with this for 12 years. What's another hour? Why didn't you run to my daughter? You didn't have to have this conversation. Bring her along. You can talk about it later over tea. But run to my daughter. You can imagine that as his eyes are filling with tears and the lump is beginning to form in his throat that maybe he's wondering, maybe I shouldn't have asked Jesus for help after all. Maybe he's wondering, maybe I shouldn't have put my faith in this man. Maybe Jesus has dropped the ball. I imagine that some of you have probably wondered that before. Because you have a friend or a family member who's riddled with disease, and you've asked Jesus for help. Because you, you are faced with the constant struggle of temptation, difficulty, and you've asked for relief. Or because you're in a difficult relationship, and there's seemingly no reprieve. And so it's easy for us to wonder, is Jesus really willing to help us? Is Christ really trustworthy? Well, Jesus tells us why he is. And he shows us why he is. Look, in verse 50, he says, hearing the girl has died, he says, do not fear only believe, and she will be well. You hear what he's saying to Jairus? He's saying, believe, have faith. Believe, have faith. You see, Christian faith is believing even when belief is hard. Jairus came to Jesus believing Christ could heal a sick girl, but now Jesus was asking Jairus to believe 
believe something far greater, something much harder, something more miraculous, that Jesus was calling Jairus to believe that he could raise the dead. Not just heal the sick, but he could raise the dead. He's calling Jairus to have faith, and he's calling us to have faith. To have faith that that God's ways are right, even when we don't understand them. To have faith that God's timing is perfect, even when it feels like it's delayed. To have faith that though we may not understand, though he may not have answered the prayers the way we asked him to, that he is trustworthy. To have faith that he is good. Faith that he sees our tears and he hears our cries because he does. You see, Jesus takes his disciples and he takes Jairus and he goes to the place of crying. Look, he goes in verses 51 and 53, he goes to the house. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. They laughed at him. They laughed at him because because they were not able to believe that death could be overcome. It seemed outlandish. But what does Jesus do? He takes her by the hand and calls out saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Surely she's hungry. Feed the girl. She's alive. Feed her. She's alive. She's not dead. It wasn't outlandish. It wasn't outlandish because Jesus, who is the one who has authority to calm the winds, which he did previously, Jesus, who has the power to walk on water, which he had already done, Jesus, who has the ability to heal the sick, which he did just moments before, is the same one who has the strength to defeat death. See, Christ has the power over death because he will defeat death himself. Christ takes our sin upon himself on the cross. He was buried, but the tomb could not contain him. The tomb could not contain him. Death would not rule and reign over Jesus, but he rose to new life. And because he can rise, he can raise others. He has the power over death and over sin and over the grave, and over hell. See, when he says, she's only sleeping, he's not saying, y'all missed it. Like, she's really just, she's just taking a really long nap. That's not what he's saying. No, what he's saying is that for me to raise someone from the dead is like just waking someone from a nap. (laughs) That's the kind of power he has, right? To, to, you know, you go in and you wake up your child in the morning or your spouse, right? I mean, they just get up just from a little bit of a stir. It's so easy sometimes, sometimes, not always, <laughs> right? This is why Kat normally wakes our kids, but, um, but she's not home, so I'm trying to do it. But, but it's easy to wake them in the morning. And Jesus is saying, as easy as it is to wake someone from sleep, I can wake them from death. He can wake them from death. He brings new life. 
By his very word, he raises the dead to new life, and that's what he does for us. He takes those who are spiritually dead, and he gives us new life. But he doesn't just stop there. Because unless Jesus returns beforehand, every one of us will die. Every one of us will die unless Jesus returns beforehand. But if you are trusting in him, if your faith is in Christ, in the one who raised this girl from the dead, if your faith is in the one who healed this woman of her bleeding, then you one day too will hear those words that say, Arise. Because Jesus will return with a trumpet sound, and all the dead will be raised to new life, and we will be raised with glorified bodies as though we had just been sleeping. That that is what awaits all those who trust in Christ. That we too will hear that voice because Christ himself has defeated death. And as his people, he will bring us to new life. That's where our faith rests. It's not upon ourselves. It's upon the one who has the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. You know, as Schaefer's plane was descending and was going to crash into the Atlantic Ocean, as he was sitting there praying and calling out silently to God for help, as his wife and children thousands of miles away were calling out to that same God for help, as he could see the water breaking below him, the engines turned on. And instead of the plane crashing into the ocean and bringing death, it rose. And they lived. And they landed, and when they landed, Schaefer found the pilot. And he went up to the pilot and he said, what happened? (laughs) And the pilot said to him, he said, it's the strangest of things. Something we can't explain. He said, only rarely do two motors stop on the same wing, but you can make a rule of it that when they do, they don't start again. The pilot said, we don't understand it. And Schaefer looks at him and he goes, well, I can explain it. And the pilot just said one word, how? <laughs> and I imagine as he said how, he, his face was probably contorted like Peter's was when Jesus said, who touched me? And when he said, how, I can imagine that he had a look of disbelief on his face like the people did when Jesus asserted that the girl was only sleeping. How? And Schaefer looked at him and he said, my father in heaven started it because I was praying. You see, what Schaefer believed and what he understood is what we understand and what we believe, that the God who helped this woman And the God who raised this girl from the dead is the same God who starts engines and hears the prayers of his people. It is the same God that we put our faith in because he is the one who is able and he is the one who is willing and he is the compassionate one who showers his people with love and grace. He is the one we have faith in. Father, we do thank you We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are the one that we put our faith in. We thank you that even that faith in you is a gift from you. And so we praise you and honor you that you have opened our eyes to the truth of your gospel. 
that you have shown us the beauty of your Son. Father, we praise you that you have given us faith to believe in Christ. And so we ask, as one other character in the Gospels asks, we believe but help our unbelief. Help our unbelief today and tomorrow and all of our days so that we would live all of our days in faith. Moment by moment, trusting in you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray and God's people said, Amen.